Welcome to the Preaching Podcast. I'm Paul Robinson, and I hope you're doing well. We're finally at the end of our Jonah series. I sure hope you've been listening, and once again, if uh, you have not listened to any of the previous parts, be sure to go back and listen. This is part four, which covers Jonah chapter four, and um, kind of a sad ending to this book, right? Chapter three was amazing. Chapter four, uh, not so much, and... uh, we're going to talk about Jonah today, so uh, anyways, I, 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 I don't want to give anything away. I mean, you probably know what's going to happen, but um, I don't want to beat around the gourd. <laughs> that that was a really lame joke. I know, that was a lame joke, but uh, whatever, whatever. Anyways, without further ado, here's the message, Jonah Part 4. Jonah Chapter 4. We've seen how Jonah has run from the Lord. He was a prophet of God. God called him to go to Nineveh, and he said, I don't want to go. So we've seen Jonah run from the Lord, thinking he could get away from the presence of God. He couldn't. So God sends a storm. You know, we, we know he gets in the ship. He, he goes off onto the ocean. God sends a storm to get his attention and uh, scares the sailors to death. And uh, then they find out, oh, this is Jonah's doing. And instead of repenting and saying, I'm going to do what's right, Jonah says, just cast me into the ocean. You know, he'd rather die than go to Nineveh. And um, God says, I'm not going to let you get away like that, Jonah. And he sends a great fish to swallow Jonah. And, And Jonah finally gets right with God. He prays in the belly of the fish. After three days and three nights, he is spat out. And he goes to Nineveh and he preaches there and he gives them the message God wants him to give. And and the people repent. They repent the whole city and they get saved. Wow. Incredible. Now, if that was the end of the story, it'd be a happy ending. But unfortunately, the book of Jonah does not have a happy ending. And so in chapter 4, today we're going to talk about Jonah's self-pity. Self-pity. I want you to notice first Jonah is displeased and angry. Verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. You know, Jonah's attitude is truly shocking. He had just witnessed one of the greatest revivals, and yet he is pouting. It appears that Jonah is displeased because things did not go the way he wanted them to go. But considering the outcome, this makes Jonah the villain. You ever think about that? Jonah's the villain of the story. The real problem here is the sin of self-pity. Despite what had just happened, Jonah somehow focuses on his own problems. He's being completely selfish. This attitude doesn't make sense, except if Jonah's resentment for the Ninevites was still in his heart. Then it makes sense. And so let's talk about Jonah's reasoning for his attitude. This is verses 2 and 3. It says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah gives his rant here on why his attitude stinks. The truth comes out as to why he had fled when God commanded him to go to Nineveh. He knew that God would forgive them. Jonah could not have known that the Ninevites would repent, but he knew that if they did, God would be merciful and gracious to them. Aren't you thankful that's the way God is? 
God is indeed very merciful and gracious. I think of Lamentations chapter 3 in which it says uh, new, that his mercies are new unto us. We receive new mercies every morning. And then it says, great is thy faithfulness. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That's what it says. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. God is merciful and God is faithful. Also, Psalm 145 and verse 8. Let me turn there and read this to you. Psalm 145 and verse 8. It says this, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Aren't you thankful that's the God we serve? But you know what? Jonah was acting as if this were a problem. Oh, Lord, Lord, I knew you were going to be like this. I, I knew you were gracious. I knew you were long-suffering. I knew you were merciful. I knew you would forgive this people. He's acting like this is a problem. Jonah, this really isn't a problem. Okay, this, we should be thankful God is like this. Not angry that God's like this. Next, Jonah asks the Lord to kill him. This also makes no sense. Notice God's response. Verse 4. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? You know, God did not understand either. God says, Hey, Jonah, why are you angry? Why? Notice how selfish Jonah's prayer was. I want you to notice um, verses 2 and 3 once again. He says, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Did you notice all the, all the me's and my's and I's? It was all about Jonah. And again, self-pity. Jonah is, is, he's feeling sorry for himself. Oh, Lord, I knew you were going to be like this. I knew you were going to forgive these people. Self-pity. Woe is me. It's the woe is me syndrome. You know, Jonah should have been praising God for his goodness. Instead, he's welcoming death because of his childish attitude. This shows that there was a deeper problem. And I want you to think about this today. Was Jonah... A racist. You know, we talk about racism, and unfortunately the left likes to use racism in our country today. And uh, basically, if you don't align with what they believe, you're a racist. Racist! And, uh, you know, it's the boy who cried wolf, but it's the boy who cried racist. <laughs> you're right. Um, but it, I really want you to think, was Jonah a racist? The indication seems to be that he was racist against the Ninevites. Why else would he be so angry over their deliverance? Jonah ran in the first place because he knew that God was merciful, and in his mind, Nineveh did not deserve God's mercy. His racism is further seen when he goes outside the city to watch what would become of the city. That's in verse 5. Verse 5 says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Hmm. No doubt this was the 40-day mark, and Jonah was hoping against hope that God's judgment would come. Perhaps he thought that such a wicked people could never truly turn from their evil ways. You know, in his mind, he was thinking, it's not real. Th these people, they didn't really repent. It's not genuine, and so God's going to, all right, let's see. Come on, Lord, come on, wipe them out, wipe them out. Wow. 
racism, you know, racism has always been an ugly blot on mankind. Wicked leaders such as Haman and Hitler have attempted to wipe out entire peoples. But it is especially tragic when God's own people have bias against others. Jonah's attitude in chapter 4 is devilish. We need to remember that God is no respecter of persons. That's what it says in Acts 10, 34. We also need to remember that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. First John 2, 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We need to remember that God desires for everyone to be saved. Second Peter 3, 9 says that God is not slack concerning his promise, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, that even includes the Ninevites. God wanted them to be saved. The devil is of the uh, the devil is the original racist. He hates God and all of his children. When we have such an attitude toward others, we are acting just like the devil. Just like the devil. So I want you to think about that today. It appears that Jonah was a racist. Jonah hated these people. He had a bias against these people because these were wicked people. There's no doubt. But he hated them so much that he didn't want them to get saved. He, he wanted God to wipe them off the face of the earth. They, you know, he, he, he thought, well, they don't deserve God's mercy. And they don't deserve God's salvation. And you know what? None of us do. None of us deserves God's salvation. We're all wicked. We're wicked. And so we need to keep that in mind. Don't let racism cloud uh, the truth that all people need to be saved. And God wants all people to be saved. Now let's talk about the danger of self-pity. Racism is just one problem with Jonah here. He also exhibits the sin of self-pity in this chapter. Self-pity is completely selfish. Focusing on one's problems and feeling sorry for yourself. Elijah suffered the same problem in 1 Kings chapter 19. And so let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And let's find out what happened here to, uh, honestly, one of the greatest men. You know, Elisha, what a man of God. And what a man's man. I mean, he was willing to stand up to those prophets of Baal. But I want you to notice what happens here in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I'm sorry, did I say Elisha before? This is Elijah. I'm sorry, Elijah. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose 
and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and brake in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Wow. Notice that Elijah was focused on himself. And he even desired to die, just like Jonah. He said, Lord, take away my life. Lord, nobody's living for you no more, God. Everyone's forsaken you. I'm the only one left. Wow. You know, self, uh, self-pity has three dangerous characteristics. First, it is focused solely on yourself. It's all about you. It's all about you. Forget God and forget everybody else. It's all about you. Secondly, it invites others to focus on you and to pity you. Have you ever known somebody like that? You, you know, you go to church and, How are you doing, brother? Oh, I'm okay, considering the circumstances. And and they kind of have that woe is me attitude. I've been better. I've been better. You know what they want? They want you to pity them. Because when you're obsessed with, you know, you, you, when you've got the sin of self-pity, you're having a pity party for yourself, but you want other people to join in on the pity party, you know? Join the party. And then number three, it offers no solution. There is no solution. Wow. Having self-pity is like digging a pit for yourself, getting in, and then trying to bury yourself alive. If someone comes along, you don't want them to help you out of the pit. You just want them to see that you're in it, and you want them to feel sorry for you. Hey, brother, I see you're in a pit there. You want me to throw down a rope? No, don't throw a rope down. I'm in a pit. Uh, yes, I see you're in a pit. You want me to? No, look, at, I'm struggling so much. Okay, you want me to? No, just, just please, please. I need your I need your sympathy. I need your prayers. I need your prayers. You know, when you're wallowing in self-pity, you're in the pit and you don't want to get out of the pit because you want the attention. You want people to just sympathize with you and pity you, and that's all you want. There's no solution. Self-pity, then, is self-destructive, and we must be very careful never to succumb to it. It's self-destructive. And and you know what? You brought it on yourself, didn't you? Elijah brought it on himself. Jonah brought it on himself. It is a self-destructive sin. And we need to be very careful that we don't give in to self-pity, that we don't start feeling sorry for ourselves. And and you got to catch yourself. You got to be careful. Oh, 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 what am I doing? I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm I'm trying. Oh, my goodness. What am I doing? I'm trying to get sympathy from other people. Careful. You're in the pit. Get out of that pit. Next, I want to talk about Jonah's, um, uh, verse 5, Jonah wants destruction. Jonah wants destruction. Notice verse 5, once again, of Jonah chapter 4. Verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city 
and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. You know, it seems that Jonah did not believe that God would spare Nineveh. He goes outside the city to watch and see what would happen. And again, again, this must have been the 40th day. That's what I'm thinking. It was the 40th day. No doubt Jonah was hoping that fire would fall from the sky and destroy the place. Ha ha! He had sunk to a new low. Denial. Jonah had previously admitted that he knew God was gracious in verse 2, yet here he is hoping that God would display his wrath and destroy Nineveh. God must have been disappointed with his prophet. He decides that Jonah needs to learn a lesson. And again, I want you to think about how low Jonah had fallen. I want you to think how low he'd gone. He was to the point of denial, you know? He, he had seen that the city had repented. He had seen that they turned to God and God forgave them. And yet he said, no, no, it can't be real. Maybe God will destroy them anyways. Maybe God will say, well, they're just so wicked. They don't deserve. I'm just going to destroy them anyways. And so he sits outside and he says, come on, come on, come on. Where's the fire from heaven? And so what he was in, he was in denial. Wow. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Next, let's talk about God's object lesson. And this is the very last few verses of this chapter, verses 6 through 11. In order to teach Jonah this lesson, God uses a few different objects and circumstances. So let's look at these. First, we have the gourd in verse 6. Verse 6 says, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. You know, it offered that shade. This gourd was simply a vine that is capable of growing in dry climates, such as deserts. The gourd provided shade for Jonah, which made him very happy. I mean, come on. We, we've all been in the situation where we're outside. Maybe it's the middle of summer. It's 100 degrees. And boy, it is so hot. And, and, and really, you don't even need to go inside. All you need to do is find some shade. And then when you're in the shade, it's just it's, it's night and day difference. You're like, wow, this shade is glorious. It feels so good. You know, shade can make a real difference. And so Jonah was very happy. However, the thing that made him happy would soon be taken away. Why? Because God wanted to teach Jonah a lesson. God was using the gourd. You know, don't you like object lessons? I, I think it's very important. It's interesting that, you know, kids, we often think, oh yeah, kids need object lessons. Well, actually, adults do too. You know, actually, we're all, we're living in a time where we're all visual-oriented people, thanks to social media and the internet. So, God is teaching Jonah a, a lesson using a, a visual object. Okay, next we have the worm in verse 7. Verse 7 says, But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. Oh no! This worm must have eaten away at the base of the gourd, causing the whole thing to wither up, shrivel up, and die. Jonah was able to enjoy his shade for just one day. That was it. What he had enjoyed had been easily and quickly removed. Next we have the east wind, verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Here we go again. 
To make matters worse, so now we have this hot east wind, and it's blowing against Jonah. And I want you to understand, this was a dry desert wind. You know how sometimes there's a there's a nice cool breeze that kicks up, and it's it's a cool breeze. It feels nice. That's not this. This was not a cool breeze. It was a dry wind. And so it actually just made you feel worse. So now Jonah's shade had been removed and his pain had increased. He was so miserable that he wished to die again. Again, this is the second time in this chapter in which Jonah just wants to, oh, Lord, just kill me, Lord. And again, there's that self-pity. There's that self-pity. Remember, when you're wallowing in self-pity, you do not want a solution. You would rather just die. Lord, it's so hot. Oh, Lord, this wind is terrible. Please, Lord, just kill me. Put me out of my misery. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? Jonah's being a wimp. He could have just gone inside the city for shade. You ever think about that? It's like, Jonah, you're, you're just, you're right outside the city, dude. You can just go inside the city. I'm sure the people would welcome him. They've seen revival. But no, he would rather die outside. He was in the throes of self-pity yet again. And so now we have the lesson. Verses 9 through 11. Don't miss it. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Okay, so God asks Jonah a simple question, and Jonah responds that he wants to die over a basic lack of comfort. And again, he could have just gone inside the city. God then explains the lesson. Jonah pitied the gourd, even though he had done nothing to make it grow. He pitied it because it gave him comfort. And then it was gone, and Jonah was back to pitying himself. The point. Shouldn't God pity the people of Nineveh, who had repented of their sins and turned to God in faith? Aren't these people more important than a short-lived gourd in the desert? Jonah had more compassion for the gourd than for the people of Nineveh. This was because the gourd served his own self-interests. Jonah was being selfish again. It's amazing. It's just amazing how, how, self, how selfish he was right here. He didn't care about the Ninevites. He cared about himself. He cared about the gourd. Only because the gourd brought him relief. All he cared about was himself. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's crazy. Well, that's the end of the book of Jonah. And we have to wonder, what happened to Jonah? The story of Jonah just ends. We never read of Jonah again in the Bible. So what happened to the prophet? Did he ever get his heart right with the Lord? Well, because Jonah's the author of the book, I imagine he would give us a happy ending if things turned out well. With this in mind, I believe that Jonah never got right with the Lord. Perhaps he went home to Gath-Hefer and lived the rest of its days in solitude. We just, we just don't know. If Jonah's attitude never changed, I doubt that God ever used him again. 
Jonah will forever be remembered as the reluctant prophet, or maybe even the pouting prophet. That's not a good way to be remembered. Not a good way to be remembered. Well, I want you to think about, um, as we wrap up, think about the application. Think about self-pity. Remember that self-pity is self-destructive. It focuses on yourself. It, invite other, it, it invites others to pity you, but it offers no real solution. Many times we're just like Jonah. We have pity or compassion on trivial things, but we fail to have compassion for people. Jesus had great compassion for people. Matthew 9.36, I want to read this to you, and I want you to notice what it says. The Lord Jesus, of course, he, he's the greatest example on anything. Matthew 9.36 says this, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Wow, I wonder, is that the way you are when you see people? Do you have compassion for them? Do you desire that they would be saved? Don't allow yourself to focus on self. Keep your heart fixed upon the Lord as the psalmist did in Psalm 57, 7. You know what he said there? He said, my heart is fixed, O Lord. My heart is fixed. This means that your heart is established, and it is God who will establish it with his word. Consider Jonah's legacy. How do you want to be remembered? As a reluctant Christian? A pouting Christian? Or as a faithful Christian who serves the Lord with joy? Wow. And now I, I want to have a final conclusion here as we finish up the book of Jonah. There are some key points from this book that I want to bring out real quick. Jonah was given a great mission from the Lord, but he had rebellion. He ran from the Lord, thinking that he could escape God's presence. Rebellion always has a cost and will take you outside of the will of God. I want you to remember that. Rebellion, really any kind of sin, will take you outside of God's will. And, and when you go outside the will of God, you go outside of God's blessings. God got Jonah's attention with a terrible storm, and yet Jonah would not confess his sin. Instead, he wanted to be thrown overboard in the hopes that he would drown. Jonah had neglected God's word, prayer, and his witness. I wonder today, have you neglected God's word? You stopped reading the Bible? How about prayer? You stopped praying? You said, I don't have time to pray. How about your witness? Have you stopped being a witness for the Lord? Have you stopped handing out tracts and telling people the gospel? Have you failed in these areas? Jonah should have drowned. But we serve a God of second chances. God can use any creature or any means to accomplish his purpose. Jonah in the fish is the type of Christ's burial in the heart of the earth. Once again, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 12, verses 39 and 40. Aren't you thankful we serve a God of second chances? Aren't you thankful that he gives us third, fourth, fifth, a hundred chances, a thousand chances? God is very long-suffering to us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve another chance. You know, if God says, that's it, I'm done with you. He would be just to do that. He would be right to do that. But many times God gives us another chance. Praise the Lord for that. After being in the fish for three days, Jonah finally prays. Admitting his wrong and putting his faith back in the Lord, God mercifully delivers him from the great fish. Wow, God is so good. God is so merciful. God calls to Jonah again to go to Nineveh and preach. 
we need to remember that God's call and plan does not change. His plan for the world today is still salvation according to the gospel. You know, the gospel hasn't changed. God's will hasn't changed. God's plan hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. God still wants people to be saved by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That is still the hope of the world today. It was the hope of the world in Jonah's time. It was the hope of the world in the first century for the early church, and it is still the hope of the world today in 21st century. In our modern times, it's still the hope of the world today. It's the gospel. And so we need to be faithful to preach the gospel. Hearing Jonah's message, the Ninevites repent, and God spares them. This is one of the greatest revivals in history. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. And again, if the Ninevites can get saved... Anybody can get saved. If, if, if we can see, if, if there can be a revival of such a wicked pagan people, there can be a revival in our world today. You know, there's some theologians and some preachers today, oh, revival's not possible anymore. The world is so wicked. No, 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 no. That's exactly why revival is possible. It doesn't matter how wicked the world is. There's always hope. We can still have revival today. If, if the Ninevites, if, if the city of Nineveh can see revival then we can too. We really can. Oh, but then we have the end of the story. Jonah's not pleased. He was hoping that God would destroy the Ninevites. Not only was Jonah a racist, but he was full of self-pity. God graciously shows him that it's important to have compassion for people such as the Ninevites. And that brings this series to an end. There's a lot we can learn from the book of Jonah. There's a lot we can learn. What, what a great God we serve. Even when we're rebellious... God is good. God is gracious. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. God was good to Jonah. God was good to the Ninevites. And I hope that you'll remember that. I hope you'll remember that the God of Jonah is the same God we serve today. Amen. Wow, we sure, we sure serve a, a great God, don't we? God is so good. He's so gracious, merciful, loving, kind, long-suffering. I mean, well, we could keep going on and on. God is so good, and it really is amazing in this story. You have Jonah. Jonah's terrible. You have the Ninevites. They're terrible, but then they get saved, which is amazing. And then Jonah has this horrible attitude, self-pity. Remember, self-pity is destructive. It's a horrible thing. It's a terrible sin. And so watch out. Be on guard for that. But uh, there's so much we can learn from Jonah. Jonah's a, a pretty amazing book. And I, I sure hope that this whole series has been a blessing to you. That it has helped you. I sure hope so. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, uh, you can uh, please follow this podcast, all right? On Spotify, go to Spotify and be sure to follow. Don't miss an episode. Also on YouTube, the Preaching Podcast is on YouTube, and so be sure to go there and please subscribe. I'm really asking you, please subscribe, and and I'm putting up a bunch of videos there that is um, extra stuff, and I know it's going to be a blessing, and if, if you enjoy that, please share it with others as well. I'm really trying to grow the YouTube channel. It's uh, It's been very slow so far, but I sure would appreciate your support in that. Also check out my website, paulrobinsonbooks.com, and if you haven't read any of my books, they're devotional books, they're short, they're easy to read, and I know that they're going to be a great blessing, so check those out. I'm Paul Robinson, 
And until next time, God bless you. Bye-bye.